Good morning, Prairie Hill. I love you. I'm glad to see you. I want to invite you to find Luke 9 in your Bible. We have something to learn this morning uh, that's really super practical. Um, It's something I really want for you to be able to put into practice. I'm trying to put it into practice in my own life. We need teaching in this area because we're really bad at it. It doesn't come naturally to us. And for that reason, we come and we gather around the word to hear these things so we can be taught things that we're not very good at. But this is a huge part of life in the kingdom of God. Huge. The big idea today is that as citizens of the kingdom of God, we are to live lives that are dependent on God. And we are really, really bad at being dependent. We don't want to view ourselves as dependent. But this is a huge part of life in the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be dependent on God? What does it look like? And why is it important? Those are all questions that we're going to try to track down as we look at uh, Luke 9. We're into Luke 9 now for the first time, verses 1 through 17, okay? So we're going to read the text in just a, a minute, verses 1 through 17 of Luke 9. The big idea is that in the kingdom of God, as the present manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth, we are to live lives that are dependent on God, all right? That's where we're headed today. Um, we'll have a lot more to say about that as we go. Let's read the text first, and then we'll, we'll get into it, okay? If you're able to stand this morning, let's stand in honor of God and his word. This is Luke 9, uh, beginning in verse 1. He called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. In whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, and by some that uh, Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen, Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Now, just a side note, we're really not going to talk about that section today, the one that I just read, that little segment about Herod and his thoughts. The reason for that is we're going to talk about that next week as part of our study next week. Verse 10, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. 
for there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the news that while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We confess Christ as our only Savior, as our only sufficiency, as our only hope. Our request of you now is that having confessed him as Savior and the one who is sufficient for us and our only hope, we pray now that you would reveal him to us in all of his beauty and in truth, and that you would do that to draw us nearer to him. We need to be drawn. We're really sluggish, Father, and we're apathetic, and we make excuses, and we need to be drawn. I pray that you would draw us to Christ through the beauty and truth of what we find here. Draw us closer and closer, we pray. And we pray for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen. All right, please be seated. Okay, well, there are two things that are prominent through this whole passage. If we're looking for commonalities that tie the whole 17 verses together, that whole long section, there's two things that we can locate as being in common, common themes that run through the whole thing. The first one is that the kingdom of God is being proclaimed. Did you notice that right at the beginning? Verse two, he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God. And then at the end, verse 11, he welcomed them, the people, and spoke to them of the kingdom of God. So gospel ministry is being undertaken. All of this is happening in the context of going and proclaiming the kingdom of God. Jesus and his disciples are teaching, they're telling, they're proclaiming, they're doing gospel ministry. That's one thing that's consistent. The other thing that's consistent is that the disciples have nothing. All through the passage, they find themselves, they're lacking in resources. At the very beginning of the passage, Jesus sends them out and tells them not to take anything with them. And in the other case, at the end, they're out in the middle of nowhere, late in the day with barely any food. So there are the two prominent realities. Gospel ministry is happening and the disciples are lacking resources all, all the way through. Now, understand, realize, the disciples are not lacking resources because they're poor. They're not lacking resources all the way through because they don't have any money to buy them. They're lacking in resources because Jesus has something that he wants them to learn. Apparently. You know, as 
Jesus was getting ready to send them out. So just imagine this. They're going out on their own for the first time, okay? He's preparing them, sending them out. What kind of instructions are we going to find for the disciples here? What's he going to tell them? What do they really need to know? And we might have expected Jesus to spend a lot of time helping them get the fine points of the gospel right, As you go, I want to make sure you don't screw up the message. Understand these three points about the gospel. That's not what we see. We might have expected him to say, here's how you cast out a demon. You've got to do this first and talk to this person and then do this. And that's not what we see. The emphasis is don't take anything. Apparently, that's the thing that was important. That they go with nothing in their hands. And then he gets them into this situation later at the end of the passage where he leads them out into this desolate place where they don't have, once again, they don't have anything. And I'd have to say, because of my own temperament and my love of planning, knowing exactly where we're going to go and where we're going to eat, y'all, I plan that stuff all out in advance, right? We're going to take a long trip. We're stopping here at this time to have lunch here. And then we're going to go here and arrive at about this time. That's pretty, this, what we see here happening is pretty much my worst nightmare. <laughs> they don't have anything. They don't know where they're going to stay when they go out. They have no food, no bread, no snack. They have nothing. They're out away from home. They don't know. What's happening here? What is Jesus doing? What conclusion should we draw from observing all these scenes? Jesus wants his disciples to learn to live dependent on God. He wants them to practice dependence. So he takes away all their resources so that the stage is set to see God provide for them. And Christian, I want you to know that this statement is true for you. Christ desires to increase your dependence on God. That must be part of life in the kingdom of God based on what we see here. And not only based on what we see here, it's not just this text where we see, oh yeah, Christ wants to increase my dependence on God. Think about the Sermon on the Mount and how that starts. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who don't have anything, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Think about the Lord's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Think about John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Dependence, dependence, dependence. And not just the New Testament. We haven't even talked about Israel in the wilderness, living every day dependent on the manna. We haven't even talked about Elijah going to live next to the brook, dependent every day on the ravens bringing him food. Apparently, this isn't an isolated thing, that God really wants his people to live in dependence, in dependence on him. The whole tenor of Jesus' teaching is toward a greater dependence on God. He's always calling us away from our own resources and our own strength toward a greater dependence on God. Now, think about how different that is 
than every other kind of teacher-student or parent-child relationship. In, in the, the teacher-student relationship, in the, the parent-child relationship, what's the goal? The goal is that I train this person so well that they can go and live in a self-sufficient manner, independent of me. That's the goal for parenthood, right? Train the child well, show them what to do, give them this skill set, because the goal is to move them toward independence, to the place where they don't need you as much anymore, and they can live on their own. Molly and I just dropped off our oldest at college this week. He's there. We're here. We're not together anymore. And they had one of those parent orientation things where they bring the parents into the auditorium and try to make us feel better. (laughs) And this is the very point that the president of the school was talking, and this is the very point that he was making. He was saying, look, parents, this has been the goal the whole time, that your child learned to live independently of you. This is good, he was saying. And he's exactly right. This is a good step for them to be independent of you. That's the goal. That the understudy learn to live independent of the teacher or trainer. But as we open the Gospels, and specifically Luke 9, we're shocked to find that Jesus' relationship with his disciples, that's you, His goal is exactly the opposite, not to move you toward greater independence. To move you toward greater dependence. That we learn to rely on him more and not less. We have said many times at Prairie Hill already this very important truth about the Christian life, that the goal of the Christian life is not to be so good at being a Christian that we don't need God anymore. That's not the goal. The goal is not to become so proficient in doing all the right things and great behavior and prayer and giving and all these things that we can just go out and live life on our own without God because we've become so good at being a Christian. That is not the goal. It's just the opposite, to become over the years more and more and more aware of our desperate dependence on God, daily, hourly. And that is the end toward which Christ is working in your life, Christian. He desires to increase your dependence on God, okay? To see you living more and more dependently. Now, because that's true, we can also affirm this second truth that's also reflected in this passage, that because Christ wants to increase my dependence on God, Christ will lead me toward places of daily and extreme dependence. He's going to lead me and you into those places where we will have to depend on him. Places of daily dependence and sometimes extreme dependence. And we see both of those scenarios here. Uh, We see the disciples having to live in daily dependence on God in verses three through five. They have to trust him for daily provision. Of all the essentials, food, clothes, lodging, that's a kind of daily, hourly dependence. 
And then when we we come to the end of the passage, we see what we could call a situation of extreme dependence in verses 12 through 13. So they find themselves in a particular situation where they know right away that their resources are not adequate to the challenge. They're immediately overwhelmed and know in that extreme situation, we can't do this. We're out in the middle of nowhere, five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 people. That's not going to happen. So Christ places his disciples in both kinds of dependent situations, those daily ones and also that unique situation of dependence where there's an acute and overwhelming need of the hour. And so what we want to recognize here as we observe this text is that we experience the same thing by Jesus' own leading. Opportunities for daily dependence on God and opportunities for extreme dependence on God. So let's think more about them. Let's start with, let's start with the daily first and try to make a, a connection or two towards what we experience, all right? And let's talk about those daily dependences first. And look, we're not used to thinking about these things as opportunities for dependence. It's not how they present themselves. They present themselves as problems and burdens. But they're opportunities to depend on God. This kind of daily dependence. The first group I think about when I think about a daily dependence on God is caregivers. Some of you are, are caregivers right now for someone who is ill, for someone with a great physical or emotional need, and you are experiencing a daily dependence on God for patience, for energy, for refreshment, for community, for joy. I think about caregivers. I, th- I think about young moms. And the need, the daily hourly need for patience, for energy, for refreshment, for community, for joy. You may not have those kind of needs, but you may feel other kinds of needs. You may feel the the daily need of courage. Just courage to walk into the school or into the meeting or into practice. You may really feel the need for daily discipline. Maybe it's discipline for your eyes because sexual temptation and lust is right there, always with you. It's a daily and it's an hourly need for that kind of discipline. Or maybe it's some other kind of of discipline. Maybe your current need is financial and it's it's a daily weight on your soul, in your mind. In all of these situations that we've mentioned, plus lots of others, so caregivers, moms, those who are battling fear and lust and worry, I think there are two action points that are revealed to us here in our passage, okay? So if we're in those situations and we're feeling that, that daily need, like, God, I need you to supply this, I don't have it. I think there are two action points here. First of all, when we get up in the morning and we face the new day, we're ready to admit, 
right away that our resources are not adequate to the challenge. We just take an honest assessment like we see in verse 13. Well, I've got five loaves and two fish. That's not going to get it done. Father, I do not have within me today the resources for what you require. I am not able to control my fear, my lust, my worry, my temptation, my eyes on my own. I am not able to give the patience, the love, the energy that you require of me today. I know myself well enough to know that I just can't. That's the first thing. Take stock of your resources and admit that they're not adequate to the challenge. And here is the key, Christian. This is so important, okay? The fact that you see that lack in yourself is not an indication that you are behind on your sanctification. When you see your own lack, it doesn't mean that you're failing. It does not mean that you're getting it wrong. It means you're getting it right. It means that you are growing in maturity and in sanctification, in the process of becoming holy and Christ-like. Christ desires that we recognize our own insufficiency. Such is indicated by his statement in verse 13, where he says, you give them something to eat. What is that statement, you give them something to eat, other than a directive to take stock of what is in yourself? See how small your resources are. He wants them to take stock and see how small they are next to the great challenge. We don't have enough. So, Christian, get up in the morning and get out your magnifying glass and just... Notice how small your resolve is. Okay? Pull your microscope out of the science closet and take your fortitude and put it on a slide and put it under the microscope and find your fortitude if you can. Take stock and notice how small your resources are. And don't let it scare you or worry you as you ponder early in the morning your own weakness and the probability of failure if you rely on your own strength. Of course you will fail if you try to do it on your own. You were not meant to succeed on your own, but only through abiding. That's the first action item. We rise and we remember our own scant resources. But instead of being worried about it or despairing over it, we do this second thing, okay? So we're not getting worried, we're just admitting. We do this second thing after we take stock. It's the thing that's modeled so perfectly by Jesus here in verse 16. He takes the resources, as puny as they are, Puny, puny resources next to the challenge. He takes them in his hands as inadequate as they are and he looks to heaven and he says a blessing over them. He prays. He calls down the limitless resources of heaven. Resources that we see, according to verse 17, were way more 
than adequate to the challenge. There was some left over. So this, brothers and sisters, is how we live dependently on God. We recognize our own lack of resources. We call down the resources of heaven by prayer. Father, I have no courage. Supply. Father, I have no control. Supply. Father, I have no love, no patience. Supply what I don't have. Father, the need of the moment of this hour is so overwhelming that I am overmatched. You have led me to this place to see how very small my own resources are and how great yours are. I pray, I ask, Father, for you to supply my lack. I am dependent on you. God leads you to places to show you your own smallness and his own greatness. Where is your opportunity to depend on him today? What will you say to him tomorrow morning, tomorrow at noon, tomorrow at 9 p.m.? Which of his many gifts, which of the many fruits of the Spirit will you call down from heaven by prayer? In the end, the only resource we really need is our voice. And even if we should lose our voice someday, God hears the silent prayer. Christ desires to increase your dependence on God. That's where he's leading you. He leads you to places of both daily and extreme dependence where we admit our own lack of resources and call down the resources of heaven by prayer. And the last thing we see is that we can be assured that God is faithful to provide what we need. That's what Jesus really wanted his disciples to see and experience. You know, as they went out on gospel mission in those villages, in the towns, taking nothing with them, he wanted them to see God will provide everything we need along the way. And apparently he did. They all came back. Apparently they were well enough fed, well enough clothed, well enough lodged. And they all made it back because God provided along the way. And then, of course, they see the astounding provision in the wilderness. And in the end, they would have to say, you know, all along the way, the past couple weeks, we had nothing. But every time, God provided just what we needed. It was okay. And that's exactly the testimony that Christ wants to produce in you. That as you go through this whole life, at the end of, at the, end of the line, at the end of your story, you will look back and say, you know, most of my life... I really feel like I had nothing. That most of the time I did not feel holy. Most of the time I did not feel strong. Most of the time I despaired my own lack of resources. I did not often feel strong. I did not often feel adequate. I did not often feel holy. But I saw God provide and give me what I didn't have when I asked for it.
Christ does not push us toward independence. He draws us closer and closer and closer through dependence on the resources of heaven. That is life in the kingdom of God. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this teacher. We see his manner of working, Father. We see the places where he was leading his disciples, including us. How he took resources out of their hands and made them feel their own lack in order to teach them to look to you. And so I pray for us all, I pray for myself included, that as we go into this next week, and probably early on in the day, we we just realize once again um, how small and weak we are and just how much we have nothing, how little resolve, how little fortitude, how little control, that that would not cause us to despair, but it would cause us to do another kind of thing. To just say, Christ has led me here. Christ, I have nothing. Christ, I look to heaven. Christ, I expect help from all of the resources that are in your Father's hands. pray this for myself and for my brothers and sisters in Jesus' beautiful name and with great anticipation. Amen.